0: In general, people prefer to avoid suffering. Amen? Most of all society, culture, innovation, and technical advancement is for that purpose of reducing or eliminating some sort of pain, discomfort, or lack, or I would add, inconvenience. And yet, no matter how hard we try, suffering still finds a way to get in and wreak its havoc. It's a basic part of our existence. The Bible teaches that suffering can actually play a role in the Father's plans for us. But this requires something of us in the process. It requires an attitude adjustment, willingness to engage. And today we're going to hear from Peter. If you have your Bible open, we're in 1 Peter 5. Verse eight says this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. This is written by Peter, obviously. The book is named for him. He wrote a couple letters. Uh, You guys have just started, well, you started a little while ago, going, going through the book of Mark with Pastor Ben, correct? Yes, how far are you? Are we into chapter two yet? No. Okay, well, I love you, Pastor Ben. We we put this plan together, together back in January, I think, and we were going to start at the same time and keep going through at the same time and, and maybe, you know, coordinate some things. Well, we're finishing up chapter 14 today, <laughs> and that's just... So we, fin- we figured this out quickly. We're pretty new together. I mean, Pastor Ben has been here, what, two and a half years now. Um, and so, so we're figuring out, you know, we have different rhythms and that kind of stuff. And we make a plan, and I, that's my plan. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And he's just like, yeah, but I got to talk about this first, and I got to talk about this. And so we're just, uh, you're in chapter two now, I hope, and we're in chapter 14. Um, we've been working through a lot of, of the, the hard things in the gospel, the hard moments where Jesus is arrested in the garden and and he's been travailing and and now he's going through a trial and and these things are hard. And so we have been talking about suffering and things like that for a little while now. But this is Peter, who was an eyewitness. He was in the midst of all of this. Mark might have seen some of it. We are not sure really. But but, um, the gospel of Mark is most likely a dictation from Peter he's the eyewitness, and Mark is the guy writing it. Um, later on, you'll see where Mark gets to insert himself as a little cameo, not necessarily an honorable cameo, but he's in there, and, um, and and you'll get to see that and laugh at that when you get there. So this is coming from Peter, an eyewitness, one of the 12. And then, one of the 12 disciples, and then became one of the 12 apostles. He was one of the original. He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Him and James were leading that church. He preached his first sermon, and 3,000 people bowed their knee to Jesus and said, yes, he's the Messiah, and my faith is in him. That's a good start. That's a good start. It's really good for a church plant. (laughs) Really, really good. But Peter also suffered severe persecution. He suffered things, hard things, under the Jewish, pardon me, under the Jewish leaders. Imprisonments, beatings, and threats. Tradition says that he was executed by Nero in Rome in 64 AD. He was crucified, but not in the same manner that Jesus was because he decided that he was not worthy to, to suffer and die the same way that Jesus was, so he, they crucified him upside down. That's tr- tradition. Peter was the real deal. He was not some, some guy who had never experienced hard things. He walked through challenges day to day, many of them more real than, than anything we've ever experienced he was a man whose faith was more real than anything that the world or the religious leaders of his time could throw at him. His faith was more real and stronger than that. And he wasn't afraid to die for that faith. Not every Christian is in that position, you would say. I, um, have you ever felt just looking at yourself like, man, I say all the right things, but I don't know if I'm <laughs> the real deal. Maybe you felt that way about somebody else. I don't know if that's the real deal. Like, I, you know, they say the right things, but the actions don't line up. I don't know if we're the real deal. We say this in in politics. If you're part of the Republican Party, but maybe not holding to those principles in the platform, they call you a a rhino, a Republican in in name only. And if you're in the Democratic, um, or the Democrat Party and you're part of that platform, but don't necessarily live those principles out. Then, then what? I guess it's Dino. They call you a Dino, um, a Democrat in name only. And since some of us, some of us have seen this, and and we'll just pretend maybe for the moment that that we're not this personally, but we would call us uh, Christians in name only. Christians who who would maybe check the box on a survey that we're a Christian but maybe our neighbor doesn't know that we're Christian. I would submit to you today that the world has seen enough of these kinds of Christians. Believers without a mission and making no difference in the world around them in terms of the gospel and the kingdom. People who like to hear a dynamic message and polished worship and all the fixings of a nice church service, but really it's to check off the list and get into football Sunday. By the way, the Seahawks are playing later today. Tomorrow. (laughs) Yep. I really pay attention to that. Christians who get outraged at the moral decline in their schools and the rising crime rates in their neighborhoods and, and will vent on Facebook but have no solutions and are not willing to roll up their sleeves and get into the mess to help. Christians who are more interested in receiving the blessings of the Lord than they are in accomplishing his mission, which he asked them to do. You see, comfort is king, isn't it? Have I hit any nerves yet? Somebody said no. I'll keep going. I got more. I got more. Christians who are Averse to risk and suffering and avoid it at all costs. We have this thing in our head where I give my life to to Christ and He's just gonna bless me and I've done I'm doing the right things, so so you know, the right things are gonna happen to me and I'm not gonna have any hard things, and then and then life's you know, slaps you in the face, doesn't it? You see, the world is a dark place and it's getting darker. We have been sheltered for quite some time here in, in Western Christianity. Even, even separated from reports and the experiences of our brethren, Peter was talking about, hey, the, your brethren around the world are suffering too. But as it gets darker, and as we realize that it's getting darker, guess what? The light shines brighter. And when the light shines brighter, Jesus is lifted high and he draws people to himself. Some years ago, I was, I was, uh, it was only a couple years ago. It feels like a long time ago. I found myself in a place where I was just unsettled. I actually, it was a couple years ago, I, I taught about this from this platform in a message called um, New Wineskins. And we wanted to be fresh wineskins for the anointing and the move of the Holy Spirit. We didn't want to be crusty and, and set in old ways. We wanted to follow the Lord in that. I found myself in a place where I was complacent. And I was okay with, with where I was at. I wasn't striving for anything more. And, and, but, then, but then I became unsettled. And really looking back, I can see that it was the Holy Spirit, you know, pricking me and, and prodding me in certain directions and, uh, and, and convicting me of that complacency. But I couldn't really figure out why. I couldn't get my, my hands on it. And the Holy Spirit brought an image to mind. I grew up playing baseball. Anybody else play baseball growing up? You could play baseball right now. I don't know, but no? Okay, all right. (laughs) I played baseball growing up. I played third base. And they call the third base position the hot pocket or the hot box. And they call it that because when you have a right-handed hitter at the plate, uh, majority of batters are right-handed hitters, and they come around on that that pitch, they've got more power coming that way and and they'll do what they call pull it down the line. They pull it down the line and they've got all their their force into that ball and that ball is coming fast. You are at third base. Almost anything that comes your way on purpose is coming really fast. Now, I played third base. I don't know why I played third base because that's scary. It's really scary. And I was not really a, a guy, you know, looking for adrenaline rushes all the time. But in that position, you've got those grounders and those line drives coming right at you, and and you have very little time to react. And the chances of getting hurt, uh, the chances of that ball doing damage to your body are pretty high if you mishandle it. Sometimes you had to be willing to take a shot in the face there. But the Holy Spirit was showing me this picture of, of me at third base. And you have what you call the athletic position, right? You want to be like this when that ball comes. Because you can go either way. You can go this way or that way. You can, you can jump up. You can, you can scoop. You can charge. If you're standing there like this, and that ball comes at you fast, you're hosed. That thing's going to hurt you, or you're just going to miss it, and they're going to write it as an error, <laughs> because you should have had that. one of the chief things that I struggled with at third base was that fear, <clears throat> the intimidation of how fast that ball was coming. So I, would, I might be in an athletic position, but I would kind of rock back because I felt like I could give myself a little bit more time if I backed up a little bit, right? And it never helped. It never helped. I made all kinds of errors. But I discovered the secret to fielding every ball that came my way. And I call it the forward lean. And here's what happens. In that athletic position, the pitcher over here in in my field of vision, he pitches the ball. And as soon as he lets that ball go, I start moving forward. I start moving forward. Because what happens is when that ball comes my way, I'm already committed. I'm already moving that way. Now I've already got the motion. I can nail him at one. I can twist and and, and get a double play at second. Some of you don't play baseball or don't know baseball, and this is all loss, and I'm sorry. It's just who I am. But the fear had no chance to stop me from making that play because I was already committed. I was already in. I didn't think about it. It was a forward lean. I had one of, my, one of my teammates ask me one time, do you always make that face when you charge the ball? What face? I mean, I never saw myself. I don't know. What, what face? And he said, well, you just go like this every time you go. <laughs> I said, well, maybe I'm holding my breath. I don't know. I didn't know I was doing that. but It was the forward lean that gave me that chance of success and that kept me from, from being stuck in fear. I couldn't be afraid of, and I couldn't be um, intimidated by a trial coming my way, a challenge coming my way. I had to have a forward lean, and that's how I did it. The Holy Spirit brought this back to my mind, and we're talking about um, suffering and, and, and the hard things in life versus being complacent and comfortable, and, and, and the word came clear, I need you to lean into this. I need this forward lean, and this is something that I now recognize in myself when I have it and when I don't, and I recognize it in other people. It's, it's, an, it's an attitude in life. It's an attitude in the kingdom where, where you, are, you are going to do something, and come what may, here we go, we're on mission. We're, we're, we've got the forward lean. We're going somewhere. There's momentum. I'm not waiting for things to come to me. And this is really important because them grounders are going to come. And those shots down the line are going to come. And they're fast and they're hard and they hurt. But your attitude is everything when you have that coming at you. The first main point of this message is everybody suffers. And this is your favorite point, obviously because you're excited about the hard things in life and, and what they bring to you. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that, that the rain falls, the Father sends the, the rain on the just and the unjust. Now, rain is a good thing. Rain is not suffering. The Father blesses his creation. But there are also things in our world that happen to everybody, whether you're good or bad, that are not fun. The Psalms are full of suffering, and the psalmist's response to that, his complaints about that, and how he deals with that. Suffering could be loosely defined as anything unpleasant that you can't get away from. In general, it is something bad to be avoided, It ranges in severity from a light sunburn that makes you uncomfortable when you have to wear a different outfit, to diseases or actual torture. There's a range to this. It could be constant worrying or extreme anxiety. It could be natural consequences for poor decisions. Anybody had some of those? A lot, yeah. I didn't ask for that. You don't have to tell me that. It could also be a, a form of oppression or injustice from the outside. It could be physical in the form of illness or disease or mental anguish from guilt. It could be mental illness or any external torment. Suffering is a major component of our human existence, of our experience. Many of our joys and happy experiences actually come in contrast to the misery before, right? Something is much more joyful, much more, uh, much more exciting when you've gone through something to get to that point. Suffering is for a period of time, not an instantaneous event. Something that, that is not only unavoidable, but you feel stuck in. Psalm 13, verse 1, David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is the feeling of suffering, even from David. Another angle on this concept of suffering would, uh, it could be said that an athlete suffers through training in order to achieve the prize. So there's an element of, of endurance going on here. Now, God does not send suffering. We know that Scripture teaches that God is good and only good. God does not punish you for things that you've done. There are natural consequences. We already, we already talked about that. Um, But he doesn't send calamity on you because you've made sad decisions. It's a result from, suffering is a result from living in a fallen world. With the sin nature in each of us, all of us make bad decisions. And those bad decisions affect other people. And so with a ripple effect and systems that are built on on bad decisions and and then the chain effect, boy, you've got you've got a lot of suffering going on right quick. And it started in the garden. It started when Adam and Eve made their sad decision to, to pick the fruit and to eat the fruit when God said no. They said, I want to decide what's right and wrong. I want to be like God. I don't want somebody else telling me what's right and wrong. And from that moment on, things got hard. Now it's hard to work the land. Now it's, now it's work to get good fruit out of the soil. Now we have relational issues, And that's when it started. Now it's in all of us. It's magnified. So suffering just comes with the territory. Suffering just comes with being human. And I trust you are really encouraged at this point. But it doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from God. He is completely good and holy. James 1 says, Every good thing given. And every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. He doesn't ever change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He's only good. A little while later in James, he says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? Can a fig tree produce olives and and a vine produce figs? Now in this passage, he's talking about us and our mouth, but the concept and the principle is true of God as well. He is a certain thing, and that means nothing else works. Nothing else comes from him. But still, there is suffering. God allows it to be so. The suffering Peter is talking about here is mostly unbelievers responding badly to the presence and the message of the gospel. But it is also the strain, and and hear me on this, it is also the strain of perseverance when it's hard and it doesn't feel like it will ever end. Some of us have walked through really hard things in life. Some of us are walking through really hard things in life. And the perseverance that it takes to keep walking in that direction, to keep your heart, that's suffering. That definitely qualifies as suffering. Listen to Peter a few chapters back. Oops, I skipped a part. Here we go. So that first that first point is that everybody suffers. Nobody gets away with uh, a clean slate. Nobody gets uh, through life unscarred. If you have, I want to talk to you after service. The second point is you are called to suffer. So let's just take it a a step further. Not only are you going to suffer, but you are called to suffer. We will all suffer. It's part of this life. But we can suffer for the right reasons, not our dumb decisions. And we can choose how to think about that suffering. We can just let it come at us and passively accept everything that happens as God's will, which is completely not true. And I would think of this as being on your heels. Just waiting for stuff to come. Rocking on your heels. No chance to respond correctly when the trial comes. Now we're going to listen to Peter a few chapters back. Chapter 2 of that same letter. He says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And listen to this. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for how to follow in his steps. Hold on a sec. Peter just said that you were called to suffer like Jesus suffered you were called to suffer like Jesus suffered. He didn't say you were called to act like and look like and just be all peaceful and calm and, um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Just chill all the time. Because that's kind of the image we have of Jesus sometimes. He could handle anything. He can, you know that he threw tables, right? Jesus was not always just chill and, and, oh, I can handle anything. You can't rattle me. No, no, no. He, he got angry he didn't sin in his anger. The example that Jesus left us includes suffering. He found himself in situations where, where he was opposed and oppressed by religious leadership. That last week before the cross, man, it was intense. And they were fighting every day. They were on him every day, trying to trap him, trying to, trying to get him. Jesus suffered. And then, of course, the ultimate trial, the cross he suffered. In fact, he was here to suffer. That was the point. And Peter says he has laid out a template for us. You are called to be like Jesus. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? I'm not talking about one of the 12. I'm just talking about they were told to make disciples of the nations. That's us, right? We're disciples, which means our goal in life is to be like Jesus to follow his example. And he suffered. Peter says, you're called to suffer too. Not exactly exciting, but here we go. If we're going to do it like Jesus, we're going to do it like Jesus. So we can start by taking the main point of life as ease and comfort and putting that aside. Remember at the beginning I said that most of culture and society is built around making things easier, making things better, improving on things, less inconveniences. We can just set that aside. That cannot be our main goal in life anymore. It cannot be our priority because now as a disciple of Jesus, my priority is to be like Jesus. Your priority is whatever his priority is your priority is to advance the kingdom, to seek and save the lost. You are called to work hard and to endure that hard work. Look at these people who are telling us this. We've got Peter and James. Did they have it easy? No, they did not. They did not have it easy. They didn't ever have it easy, not even before Jesus. We're talking about fishermen. They worked hard. They worked hard. And then Jesus called them, and they had to learn another kind of hard work. And then after Jesus left, we have the persecution of the church. And, and Peter and, and uh, James. James died violently. Peter died. We talked about that. He died violently, upside down. That just makes things better, right? They, didn't, they never strove to, to set themselves up for ease. They weren't worrying about their 401 k. No, they, they gave themselves and they gave their lives for the gospel, for the kingdom, for the Messiah that they had seen with their own eyes, for people to come to know Jesus as Messiah and Lord. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a retirement account. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying you forget about that kind of thing. I'm just saying that can't be your main priority. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your main priority is to be like Jesus, and that means accomplishing his mission. We say it's on the wall out there, our mission. Our mission is to see the lost saved and disciples made. This was what Jesus was about, and now it's what we are about. Hebrews 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In our suffering, we can choose joy. We can choose hope and we can go through it and push on with an attitude of expectation because there is joy on the other side. There is joy on the other side. There, and our hope is that there is joy on the other side. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays to the Father. He knows the trial that's ahead of him. He knows what Scripture says he's about to go through. And, and he is in a place where he is about to receive strength to go through that trial. So Jesus comes to the garden, and he's, he, the first thing he says to the Father is, I don't want to do this. If there's any way that we could could work around this, okay, but no, all right, your will, your will, not my will. He does this three times. This is a serious, serious process that Jesus went through. And then when he put himself in a place where his will was surrendered to the Father and he was willing to face that thing and he was willing to accomplish what the Father set in front of him, then he was strengthened by an angel. He was strengthened the account in Matthew says, says that an angel came and strengthened him as he was praying. We have the same, the same resources that Jesus had to face his trial. When he came out of there, he went through the worst trial known to man. He went through it and he went through it, how would you say, with flying colors? Like there was ultimate victory on the other side of that because of the way that he did that. We have... The same process and the same tools available to us. And the Holy Spirit is with us to give us strength. To give us joy. I believe that in that moment, as he was being ministered to, the Father gave him a glimpse of the joy to come. Jesus saw the people that would be affected by what he was doing. Jesus saw the people that that would call on him for salvation. He saw the people that would suddenly be able to have relationship with the Father. He knew there was ultimate victory on the other side. And so for the joy set before him, this is the template that we're looking at. This is our example. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I submit to you today that for the joy set before us, we can handle whatever this world throws at us. We can. We can be built up and strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and we can handle that thing. And now we get to the good part, the results of suffering. Because nobody likes going through suffering. Nobody says, yay. But, again, for the joy set before us, we can. Romans 8.28. How many of y'all knew I was going to use this verse today? There's bonus points available for that. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We have joy and hope because we know that God will work everything we have for our good no matter what it is. This is part of who God is. This is part of who he is. He he can take anything that happens and make it as if it was supposed to happen that way and give you better results for it. Remember Joseph in Genesis? His brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to to Egypt. He goes to prison. He's just got... That dude suffered. That was rough. But God used it. And what happens when he's reunited with his brothers? He said, you meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. Now, God didn't sell him into slavery. But God has this incredible supernatural ability to take the worst things, the most impossible things, and to use them to bring even more glory to himself through your life. That's what he does. That's who he is. So he works all things together, and and that's our hope. And just what, pray tell, is that good, you may ask? What is the good that he is working in our lives I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked that. Because the next verse in Romans chapter eight says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that Jesus, he would be the firstborn among many brethren. You, pardon me, You are predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus. In regular English, that means you're supposed to look like Jesus. And God will work everything that goes on in your life for that purpose, to make you look like Jesus. Again, not so that you're just mild and meek and tame all the time. No, so that you can accomplish the same mission that Jesus was sent to accomplish. You're a disciple of Jesus, Everything that happens in your life, God will work for that end to make you look and act like Jesus. But this isn't just about God raising up a bunch of little army ants to do his work. Because the main thing about Jesus was restoring mankind to relationship with the Father. And that's one of the things we see him model so well is his relationship with the Father. And that's a big part of who we become as we follow Jesus. Our relationship with the Father grows. How many know that when you're in a hard spot, you pray? When it gets rough, you're calling on the Lord. um I and mean, we can we can make light of that but that can be a heavy thing for some of us to actually call on the lord it's got to get really bad you got to get down <laughs> you're a pretty self-reliant person and so it takes a minute for you to get all the way down there where you're like oh god help oh god help but god's plan for you is to make you like Jesus, and bring you into direct relationship with the Father. That's your good. That's your hope, is that God can use everything in that way. God's not trying to use everything to uh, to work revenge on the bad guys. Somehow, that's, that's how I think about it sometimes. God, God can use everything for my good. That means this person's going down. <laughs> this situation, this, you know... There will be justice. And that is not the good that he's talking about. That will all get worked out. When Jesus comes back, holy smokes, that's going to get worked out. He's not trying to make you comfortable. He's not trying to take all your pain away from you. He's not trying to make sure that you never go through anything hard. You never feel lonely. You never experience heartache. That's not the good he has planned for you. That's not the gospel either. He's going to make you look like Jesus, the one you follow. James chapter 1, 2, uh, verse 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it joy. <laughs> That's a forward lean right there. Romans 8, again, earlier in that chapter. And if we are children, then we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. We are heirs with him, if indeed we suffer with him. Because, come on, we can suffer in our own way. We can suffer and let it make us bitter. But if we suffer with Christ, that we may be glorified with we will also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The joy and the hope that we have in that joy to come makes it all worth it. The results of our suffering are so incredible, so incredible that only God could do it. Only God could do that. You can't think and plan enough to do this. You don't know the details. You can't. You are confined to one body. (laughs) You just don't know. But God is not. God God is spirit, and he can work things in ways that you have no idea. Just like the athlete who pushes hard and trains with endurance, he does that because he knows the results on the other side. If you've ever been in a gym, they probably have a sign posted up on the side that says, no pain, no gain. Some of you have that tattooed on your body. No pain, no gain. And that is not just a physical training slogan. That's just a truth. That's just truth. You don't gain anything from going through easy times. We go through things that improve our performance and our capacity, We endure and we lean into our challenges knowing that God will use it to increase us and make us look more like Jesus. I just got that picture, right? Athletic position and on your toes, ready to go, ready to go. The pitch comes, the grounder is coming, and I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, that thing could take out your teeth. Yeah, but guess what? We're going to make that play. We're going to knock that thing down. We're going to go and stop the score, Stop, you know, whatever the play goes into. The analogy breaks down at some point, right? But I really hope you catch that visual of, of the forward lean in, in the athletic position. Stephanie, I'll have you come on out and play some music as we head down the hill. I've been I've only been preaching really for about a year now and I'm told the pastors are supposed to close at least 3 times. <laughs> so in closing, <laughs> it's all about the forward lean. We cannot afford to sit back on our heels. We cannot afford to join the complacency club. We cannot afford to settle for church roles. We cannot afford to settle for church roles. Listen, your significance is far more than what you do in this building. I know sometimes sometimes being in a church, you, you feel like, man, if, if I got that spot or if I was doing that, that, that would be fulfillment. That would be ministry. No. Your biggest significance is out there, not here. We cannot afford to isolate. It's so miserable that I'm just going to hole up and wait for the, for the world to finish burning. Somebody says, I got a bunker in Montana. Let's go. You cannot afford to lose your joy because the world is getting darker. Oh, come on now. You cannot afford to lose your joy because the world is not going the way you think it ought to go. Some of us this is a big this is a big struggle. I get so wrapped up and wrapped around the axle of whatever's coming down the news channel. Don't lose your joy. That's not where it's at. Your joy is on the other side because God can work that thing like you don't even know. We have to lean into the suffering and the things that life throws at us. We have to intentionally move forward, press into Jesus, invite the Holy Spirit into the middle of those things and ask him to work, not just in the situation, but in me. I have to get my priorities straight. It's not comfort. It's not ease. It's his kingdom first. Jesus says that in the Gospel of Matthew. Seek first the kingdom, and I'll worry about everything else. Relationship with him, and then pursuing the lost. That's his kingdom. That's, that's his mission, and now our mission, not my comfort and ease. We need to catch a glimpse and a vision like Jesus did of the joy set before us. We need to be refreshed in why we do what we do. If we want to be the disciples that grow, we will have to have a forward lean. We will have to have a forward lean. We got to be in our word, our our, our Bibles, We got to be in the Word. We got to be intentional in our prayer times. We got to be intentional in community. And we need all we need to receive strength from the Holy Spirit. That is the only way you will make it. That's the only way you can have that forward lean. Some of us right now are maybe we find ourselves in a complacent place. Comfort and ease have become the priorities. And, and we're not really growing or pushing. And I believe today is a wake-up call for you from, from the word that you are called to suffer. You are called to do hard things for the kingdom, and you need a shift in your mentality. I can identify with that. Others here are experiencing suffering right now. In this season. And the temptation is to feel like if you were really a disciple of Jesus, if you really were doing it right, then you wouldn't be suffering or striving so hard. But just like we've been talking about, the truth is you are called to that suffering. And yes, it's hard. That's why it's called suffering. But you today, you need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and his help to choose the joy to come, and his help to choose hope over the darkness. And you need a picture and a vision of the future on the other side of this suffering. You need a forward lean as well. To be intentional, even in the hard times. The world will continue to get darker, and mankind will eventually reach a place like in the days of Noah, where nobody thinks about God just the church. Everybody's going to be thinking about their own thing and focused on their own thing. That's what it'll be like when Jesus comes back. There will be no desire for God. It will only be evil. The world is, is getting darker and will continue to do so. This is what scripture says. If we are tied to that, we will not be accomplishing the mission. As it goes that way, we will suffer. That's just the way it's going to be. But we can take comfort that we were called to that suffering, that God has a purpose and a plan, and there is joy. There is joy. So much joy that you can have joy in the suffering. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation, trouble, trials, But take heart. Take heart. Be of good courage. Be of good cheer, depending on the translation you're reading. Because on the other side, I have overcome this world. There is joy. Just as a a point of reflection, there's some discussion questions there. And I wanted you to just read them now if if you have that in front of you. Now, I'm not asking for raised hands or out loud answers here. But I want you to just kind of go through this process in your mind. What, what does suffering look like in your life right now? What hard things are you enduring? Where has hopelessness creeped in? Crept in to your heart? How do you think about that suffering? Are you, are you letting it come at you? Are you on your heels? Are you leaning into it because you know God's going to use it? And then the third question, will I let God work in my suffering to bring out his purposes? Oh, Lord, as we prayed at the beginning, we come before your word humbly, humbly, and ready to be taught and corrected and encouraged. This is what your word does for us and in us. Your word is sharp as a two-edged sword. You, you can show us our own motivations when we're unclear. You can, you can bring discernment and make the truth plain, but you also come as a healer. And as a balm. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, where you have brought conviction, where you have have corrected us, Lord, we would sense your love and affection and approval that we have in Jesus. But, Lord, we want to grow, we want to lean into the things that you have for us. We don't want to stagnate. We don't want to be complacent. We want to accomplish the purposes that you have for us. We want to accomplish the mission that was Jesus's and now it's ours. Lord, would you work in us, work in us. Even over this next week, let the things that you have, that you have deposited in us today, stick. Everything else, fall away, fly away, blow away with the wind. But Holy Spirit, I believe that you have given us something today. That we would suffer well to share in the sufferings of our Lord Jesus, so to share in his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you go this week, may the Holy Spirit strengthen you and fill you with strength for the suffering that you are called to, but also to fill you with an urgency and an intensity to do the hard things, to lean in, to share in his sufferings, and to seek his kingdom to be further established in this world and in your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.